there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before, and it's exciting. I get around James and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected, other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. As you're well aware, this work calls the real of us essence and the mask personality. We're born real and we slowly grow this mask that increasingly obscures who we really are. Personality surrounds essence, forming the outer man, while essence forms the inner man. All of this is just semantics to lay a groundwork for our makeup so that we begin to look at ourselves in a new way until we can start to think about ourselves in a new way, establish a new identity for ourselves. It's going to be very difficult to try and separate from that which is unreal because we'll so easily confuse what is real and what is unreal. So if I were to ask somebody, like somebody just came through the door, Steve, what is essence? What is essence? Yeah, what is your essence? Okay. Can anybody tell me? That's my point. We don't understand what it is. In order to understand what it is, first we have to have some groundwork laid. And that's where this is all going. We know that actually we are born real. But then we don't know anything about that because you don't really remember when you were born. You probably, your first recollection may be when you were two or three years old. And it's only, it's a sharp recollection probably, if you have one, or it's imprinted, it's well imprinted. It's not about you. It's about something that you perceive and the way that you perceive it. Is that true? Mm -hmm. But it's not about you. It wasn't about something about you, like you perceive things about yourself now. You feel this or you feel that. But when you have those first impressions, when you're born real, those impressions are about how you viewed something, the wonder of that something, the it's so hard to talk about the impact of that something, the joy of that something, or just not even joy really, but, but a kind of a, a mystical kind of experience where you don't have anything else going on. Because you're real, you don't have all that acquired stuff, all those synapses firing here and there, connecting up with all these weird things from your associative life. It's just a direct experience. And because it's a direct experience, it's difficult to tell what it is other than it's that experience and there it is there and here it is here, both at the same time. So am I close to what you've experienced? Okay, good. Because I've heard people talk about this, but it's difficult for them to explain. So I thought, well, maybe we can start to get a feel for this, get a taste for this, and start to somehow begin to understand what it is about us that might be real. The other thing about this is that I found that in the work, people begin to worship essence and hate personality, and especially hate false personality, which I think is really ridiculous because it's the same loop again of clinging and aversion. You cling to one thing, but you have an aversion and you hate the other thing, you push it away from you. I think this is a big mistake because both are necessary, as the real part of us can't really grow beyond a small point without personality. So personality is necessary, it's needed. Hostility toward personality is really nothing more than false personality growing stronger. It's nothing more than false personality exercising its domination and control over us. Don't be fooled by that. Don't be fooled by that dislike of false personality. Now, the work does say that you have to hate that part of you. And it doesn't mean hate like we mean hate. It means hate in the same way that it was written about in the Gospels, 
when Jesus said, you have to hate your mother, your brother, your father, your sister. And what that means is you've got to separate. That's what it means. You've got to distinguish between what is real and what is unreal. You've got to distinguish between what is yours and what is not yours. And that's really what we're talking about here. What is yours, what belongs to you, and what is not really yours and can never really belong to you. The unfortunate thing about us is that we call what is not really ours, what does not really belong to us, we call that our own, and it is not our own. What is actually our own is what cannot be taken away from us. If something can be taken away from you, it is not yours. It does not belong to you. It is not your own. Only the things that are yours are the things that cannot be taken away from you. Now, just for a moment, think about the things in your life that you're fretting over right now that are not yours. So if there's anything that you're fretting over, I guarantee you it's not yours because you can't fret over what is yours. What is yours cannot be taken from you. What is not yours will disappear. It will be gone. It's a matter of time, but it will be gone. As you fret about it, what you do is you give up what is yours in this moment for what is not yours. And what is yours is the peace of knowing that what is yours can't be taken away from you. You give that up when you call what is not yours your own, and you begin to fret about hanging on to it, keeping it in some way. These two parts, interestingly enough, are under separate laws, fate and accident. We begin life under the law of fate. And as we begin to progress, probably get five or six years old, we begin to pass under the law of accident so that personality may develop. We pass under the law of accident not because we were bad or we did something wrong. How could you have stopped it at five or six? What did you know about being real or not being real? It's the way things have to work here. It's the only way for us to develop. And so it's necessary. To want it to be some other way is ridiculous. It's necessary. It's like wanting to be able to breathe poisonous gases instead of oxygen, instead of air. It's absurd. That's not the way it is here. So get out of your imagination. Stop fighting reality and accept it for what it is. The fact is that in these bodies, this is the environment we need to breathe. In these bodies, these are the foods we need to eat. In these bodies, these are the temperature zones we need to stay in between or else we get too far one way or too far the other way. We lose these bodies. That's the way that works. So instead of fighting it or instead of wishing it could be some other way or instead of imagining that somehow you're going to be able to make it some other way, just accept it and move on. That's part of the reality of your being. And we're talking about being born real and then passing into something else. When I say passing into something else, what actually passes into something else? Well, what passes into something else is our sense of ourself, our sense of what we are, who we are. When we're born real, we don't have much of a sense of what and who we are because most of our experiences are direct and we don't have this big self-image. But around five or six, we start to develop this self-image. We start to acquire it, actually. We don't really develop it. We acquire it and we acquire it from the people around us. If we develop properly, what that really means is if we get through the being born real part and then move into passing under the law of accident and move into the development of the personality, there's another stage. But this stage doesn't happen automatically like the first two. This stage has to happen with effort. If we develop properly, which means find esotericism, we should end up again under the law of fate. So we start off under the law of fate we pass through a large portion of our lives under the law of accident. And then if we make it, we should end up moving back under the law of fate. It's obvious that very few people on our planet do that. Relatively few. 
Now, there may be thousands in a generation. But that's not the point. The point is that relatively few people pass from the law of accident back under the law of fate. If we don't pass from the law of accident back to the law of fate, then we die under the law of accident. And that's that. And we end up serving nature. And we end up being basically fodder or chaff or whatever. Whatever nature happens to need filler for its purposes. To pass from the law of accident unto the law of fate, we then have the ability to fulfill our destiny, to become all that we were meant to become, all the potential that was wound up in us at creation, then has the opportunity to unwind, unfold, and manifest. Like I said, that doesn't happen very often, but it can happen. It is possible. We work to make personality passive so that we don't finish life dominated by opinions, prejudices, buffers, attitudes, pictures of ourself that keep essence from growing. As personality grows, it hinders and actually brings to almost a dead standstill the growth of essence because all of the energy is going to the growth of personality which is surrounding essence. If you think about a chicken egg, for example, an egg doesn't start off with a shell. It starts off from the inside and then grows outward. And just before it passes into the world, the shell is produced. And the shell isn't really that hard when it first is passed into the world. It gets harder as it dries out, as it hits the atmosphere. For us, it's like that. Personality part of us is this shell that is protecting the essence part of us. To want to get rid of personality too soon is a mistake. That's why this work is not for children. Other things are for children. For children, you should, you should teach them how to be good householders. For children, you should teach them how to live in the world as honestly and genuinely as possible. But they also need to have some kind of culture, some kind of civilization. They should learn music. They should learn writing. They should learn reading. They should learn arithmetic. They should learn how they be kind to people, but genuinely kind to people. They should have an opportunity to voice their opinions, to say how they feel. They shouldn't be stuffed into a mold. They should be allowed to grow in a certain structure. And as a good householder, you know what that structure is. But they really need to be dealt with very carefully. And of course, no one does this, but it's how it needs to be done. And we don't do it because we're not awake enough to do it when we're raising children. When people in our cultures begin to raise children, which is in their 20s, as a rule, and sometimes younger, and sometimes older, it's, but it's rare that, it, that it's older. If you find somebody in their 30s starting a family, they'll say, well, I started late. But mostly people start in their 20s. Well, in your 20s, you're still developing personality. And you're not, you're under the law of accident. So the mate you have is pretty much under the law of accident. Whatever it is that you've got going on in your life, it's pretty much as a result of the law of accident. It's pretty much what you acquired. That doesn't mean that there's, there's no possibility of actual fate. But when people go around talking about their soulmate and things like that, that's ludicrous. It's ludicrous because people are under the law of accident, even under the law of fate. What is a soulmate? Well, supposedly, it's the other piece of you. The whole idea is very romantic and very sentimental, but it's also not very scientific. It's not based in reality. It's based in romance, which is based in imagination. But I don't want to bag on people who think they married their soulmate or they're with their soulmate. Like, good for you. I'm, I'm happy for you. I hope you live happily ever after and everything is wonderful for you. And I hope you wake up, just like I hope everybody wakes up. And when you do and you find out whatever it is you find out, then I hope you won't be too disappointed. <laughs> but such is life. 
So dominated by personality, we remain under the law of accident. We remain dominated by personality when we're dominated by our opinions and prejudices because they're really not our opinions and our prejudices. We got them from someone else. They were acquired. They don't belong to us. They're not real. They're not ours. Yet we will fight for them to the death. We will struggle against anyone who tries to take what is unreal away from us. We will fight them. This is why the work says it's so difficult to sacrifice what isn't ours, because we want it to be ours, we think it is ours, and we are not willing to sacrifice it. We never have to sacrifice what is real. We only have to sacrifice what is unreal. Yet, that is what we wish to keep, and what is actually ours, we would be willing to sacrifice in order to keep what is not ours. This is how screwed up we are. This is how twisted our minds are. This is how convoluted our thinking is. This is why the work says we need to learn to think in a new way. That's the first step, to learn to think in a new way. If you can't begin to hold yourself in a new way, in a different way than the way you've always held yourself, you're not going to be able to make any progress. It's like standing on the chair that you're sitting on and trying to pick it up, grab the seat of it and try and pick it up. You can't do that. You can't do it because you have to get off the dime. You have to get off the spot. You've got to get off the chair in order to pick it up. You've got to get off who you think you are to be able to see who you actually are. And most people are not willing to get off who they think they are. They get very aggravated and hostile. I've lived with all of you long enough to know that nobody's going to tell you what you don't want to hear. I've lived with myself long enough to know that nobody's going to tell me what I don't want to know, what I don't want to hear. I have to want to hear it. I have to get off it. I have to get off the spot that I'm calling mine in order to hear anything. So we're no different. We're all the same in this. If you feel that I'm bagging on you about it, I'm sorry that you feel that way. But take responsibility for your feelings. Take responsibility for yourself. Or don't. You know, and, and just sit there and stew in it. Whichever, it's okay with me. Stew is good too. I enjoy stew, especially on cold mornings like this. So that's fine. Enjoy yourself. But when we're dominated by personality, which means the majority of our lives, we remain under the law of accident. And we're tortured by worries, anxieties. And these worries and anxieties are not really ours either. They're imitated by personality. Who did you first see worry? Where did you learn to worry? Where did you learn to be anxious? You learned it from someone else. You may still know that person in your life. <laughs> or you may be able to remember that person from whom you learned worry, anxiety, fretting, hand-wringing. We remain blind to our useless efforts and continue to rush after meaningless things like a rat on a wheel. If you prefer the picture, you can have a hamster on a wheel, whatever. If you've got an aversion to rats, I know some people have aversions to rats. And a hamster is pretty much just another rat. It's a rodent, you know, mice, rats, all those things are rodents. But some people have acquired this aversion to rats. And so I use a rat on a wheel just to trigger that aversion so that you have an opportunity to look at it and say, okay, that does not belong to me. Where did I get that? Who is it that taught me that rats are filthy, dirty, nasty, stupid, horrible things that carry disease and kill people and kill babies for the milk they're drinking or whatever, you know, all these stories that people have about rats. Um, rats are actually a lot like us. Maybe that's our version. <laughs> people can be pretty bad when you think about it, especially if you jam them together in one cage, like New York City you know, or San Francisco or Los Angeles. You jam them together in one cage, you start to overcrowd them, and they get really crazy. People, rats, they all do the same thing. They're a lot alike. It's interesting to note that we and rats and cockroaches have all survived. So we remain blind to our useless efforts. We don't see that the majority of our life is useless efforts. The majority of our life is directed outward, getting things that we want, accomplishing life goals, putting our energies 
into the things that in the end you will look back at and you will go, is that all there is? That's it? This is what I did with my life? Fortunately, I'm in a place where I can look back at it, at the majority of my life because the majority of my life is gone. If I make it through today and if I make it through tomorrow and if that keeps happening for a while, I may, may have a quarter of my life left if it goes according to the insurance charts of how long a male is, is supposed to live in, in our time. Well, looking back, it gives you this great perspective. The hormones have quieted down. You know, the testosterone is diminishing. You're not blinded by the insanity of youth. You're not blinded by the insanity of career. You're not blinded by the insanity of getting, 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 getting sex, getting money, getting power, getting prestige, getting fame, getting, getting, getting all the things that people are after. You come to a point in your life when you look at it and you say, oh, well, that was a waste of time. You come to a point in your life when you look at things and you say, you know, I realize now that it's not the money I spent that was important. It's the money that I didn't spend. So when I go to buy something now, I notice a huge difference between myself and other people is I'm not interested in how much I'm going to save. I'm interested in am I going to get what I actually want and need the first time, one time. Am I going to be able to go and find what I want, what I need, and what will last me now? I'm not interested in, well, this will do. I'm not interested in saving money because what I've learned is it's not the money that you spent. It's the money that you didn't spend. That is where your heartache comes from, that you didn't do what you should have done, that you didn't do the first time what you should have done. Even though there was something in you that knew, but something else in you, some fear in you, some acquired something in you, tried to stop you. Again, we're back to what we rush around after that's meaningless. When you look at kids, when they're just getting ready to learn to drive, their whole life is about what? Boys, girls, cars, that whole scene. And you look at them pouring so much energy into that, and you think, you can't tell them, of course, but you think, yo, back off. It'll all happen, unfortunately. <laughs> you don't need to run up the escalator. You don't need to jog in the elevator. You're going to get there. You're moving in that direction. It's going to happen. Yes, maybe you'll be able to get through five or six boyfriends or girlfriends before you need to. Wow. You know, so you'll have all that extra heartache. So you'll get all that extra grief. So don't worry, you'll have plenty of grief. You will get all of your tears, you will get all of your laughter, you will get all of the things that are coming to you in life. You don't need to rush about it. But you can't tell them that because they're rushing for what they want. And what they want are those meaningless things that make them like a rat on a wheel. They don't really go anywhere. They just expend a tremendous amount of energy. And sometimes they do get something. They get in the hospital or they get you know, an abortion or they get in a car wreck or they get you know, this or they get that or they get waylaid and they don't get their education until years later or they don't get this until years later because they got sidetracked by these other things. I'm not saying anybody, anybody can do anything about this or should do anything about this. We're beyond that. And our children are pretty much either in that or beyond that, I guess are in that. And it's like, oh, well, there's nothing you can do. You can talk to them, but that's all you can do. You can try to restrain them, but I found that the more you restrain them, it's like pulling an arrow back in a bow. The more you pull against them, when it finally does get away from you, the further they fly. So just don't fight it. Try and be a source of light and peace and serenity and wisdom in their life and let them come to you the same way you would let a bird by you if you were sitting out under a tree. You would let a bird or a squirrel just come to you. You wouldn't then reach out and try and grab it. And I find that that's really the best way with children too. Do the best you can and then let them go. 
The reason that we remain blind to our useless efforts is because personality can and does deceive essence. Essence, being real, can't deceive itself. Personality deceives essence. And personality deceives essence a lot for a long time. Until personality becomes a little bit more passive, it will continue to deceive essence. What you are is deceived. What you don't know you are is deceived. Oh, you can acquiesce and say, oh yes, of course I'm deceived. But you don't know it, because if you did know it, you wouldn't be who you are. If you did know it, you wouldn't flare when somebody told you something that you didn't want to hear. If you did know it, you would not be upset with someone who told you something that went against what you thought, or what you believed, or what you felt, or what you desired. Personality may pretend to do something for noble reasons, but the truth about personality is it only cares for itself. Its only real desire is for power, power for itself and power over others. The outer man deceives the inner man. The personality is the outer man. The essence is the inner man. Esoteric teachings are for the inner man. They're not for the outer man. The outer man takes them and tries to use them, but the only thing he does with esoteric teachings is turn them into B and then finally A influences. In other words, he basically destroys their efficacy. That's what the personality can be counted on to do. I got an email from a woman in San Jose and she said, thank you for the work that you do. Your podcasts are a very clear voice among many. And I thought, what does that mean? A clear voice among many, among, among many clear voices? And that's not the impression that I was getting. The impression that I was getting was it was a clear voice among many voices that are not so clear. And I found that, fortunately, because I am toward the end of my life, I don't really have any big dream about, oh, well, I'm going to become famous and I'm going to do this great work and blah, 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 blah. I'm happy with a handful of people. I'm happy with just a few people who really want to work. And that's good because the only way that you're ever going to be happy in this work is if you can be happy with a few people who really want to work. Because there is no such thing as a multitude of people who really want to work. There's no such thing as a large group of people who really want to work. The more you want to work, the fewer people will walk along with you. The less you want to work, then the more you want to study the work and talk about the work and write about the work and discuss the work and have work discussion groups, the more you want to do that, the larger the group will be. And so I've noticed that as my life has moved on, the groups in my life have gotten smaller and smaller and smaller. This is the smallest group I've ever had in my life. That's 40 years of groups. This is the smallest group I've ever had. I am, without a doubt, more aware than I have ever been in my life. The less aware I was, the more people came. The more aware I became, the fewer people would tolerate it. This is not rocket science. This is the way it works. As you ascend the mountain, more and more people drop away who said, well, I didn't know it was going to be this cold. Well, I didn't know there was going to be all this ice. Well, I had no idea it was going to be snowing. I didn't know the wind was going to be blowing this hard. Well, gee, I didn't know that we were going to have to eat this food. Well, why can't we bring the space heaters? I didn't know it was going to be like this. Well, where are all the trees? Well, what happened to everything? So people start to drop away. This is the nature of this work. To think that it's some other way is self-deceptive. It's the personality deceiving essence. It's the outer man deceiving the inner man, which unfortunately is the condition under which we live our lives. Condition of deception, where the outer man is deceiving the inner man. It's what makes you run after the things that you're running after. It's what makes you crazy for the kitchen. It's what makes you crazy for property. It's what makes you crazy for success. It's what makes you crazy for paying the bills. It's what makes you crazy for having a mate. It's what makes you crazy for whatever makes you crazy. I'm not even going to talk about that. And it's what makes you crazy for trying to figure out what to do with the rest of your life. 
It's what makes us crazy. If you don't mind being crazy, then what are you doing here? <laughs> you know, I mean, what are you, what are you doing listening to me? But if you'd like to become more real, become more genuine, find your, your real self again, find what you were born with, then you're in the right place, but you're going to have to give up some crazy. Now, I know you've given up a lot of crazy. There's not a person in this room who hasn't given up a lot of crazy. I've seen you give it up, and I know how hard it's been, but there's more. There's a lot more. And we have just begun, actually. After all these years, we're just beginning to really get down to a place where we can really work. I remember when I was taking classical guitar. I'd taken for a year or two. And I said, well, what happens after this? He said, well, after five years, then you can really get down to study. And I said, well, how many of your students have been with you for over five years? He said, none. <laughs> I said, well, then how do you know what happens after that? He said, well, because I stayed with it, with my teacher, for more than five years. So he knew because he did it. But no one else ever did it with him. And that gives you an idea of what this is about. That gives you an idea of what it's like. People study for a certain amount of time, then they quit. They found that it wasn't worth it anymore. When they start off in the beginning, it's easier because in the beginning, it's so easy to learn because you don't know so much. But when you start to learn something, then you realize how much you really don't know. And that's when people defeat themselves. That's when people change their goal. That's when people become real about their aim. And they say, okay, well... Actually, I just wanted to be able to play a few pieces on the classical guitar. I didn't really want to be Segovia or I didn't want to become one of the, actually become one of the Romeros, which is a good thing because you have to be born into that family. I mean, there's no way to get into that family from the outside. You've got to be born into it. But fortunately, you are born into something real. Now the thing is to find your inheritance. Now the thing is to get back to it. Now the thing is to leave pig food, to leave the trough, to leave what you found in this foreign country and return to your own house. Return to your real self. Return to your, what you were really born to do. You're really born royalty. And then you get lost in this foreign land. And now your job is to find your way back home so that you can find who you actually are. That is what this journey is. And the reason so many people drop away is because they get lost in the foreign country, they get married out there, they have kids, they have jobs, and they don't ever want to leave them. So they don't. When it comes time to leave them, they can't. And it's only the people who can either take them with them or leave them, hate them, is the way Jesus put it. Unless you hate your mother, father, sister, brother, you cannot be my disciple. Unless you put those things aside, you cannot continue on. You've got to begin to value what is real and devalue what is not real. You've got to begin to value what is of the inner man and devalue what belongs to the outer man. It's very difficult when you're attached to and your identity is in the outer man. The dead in life are those who are unable to distinguish between what is real and what is unreal. They're empty shells, hurrying, straining, worrying, and anxious with a wrong sense of duty. What is their sense of duty? Well, I need to provide this, and I need to get that, and I need to have this, and I need to accomplish that, and I need to show these people this. That's a wrong sense of duty. That's not your duty. Your real duty is to your being. It's interesting that Gurdjieff uses this word in Beelzebub's Tales to his grandson about duty, and it's proctog, dog, or whatever it is, duty. And what it is is actually three words. One is, I think, Russian, and one is uh, some other word, and, and then one is English, duty. And what it is, duty, duty, duty. The three words mean duty. That's it. You know, so he made up these, they use these three words and, and call it then, and people go around calling it this all the time, because that's, because it's idiotic. I'm sorry. It's just idiotic. What it is, is your being duty. is the duty to develop your being. What is so hard about that? It's no big deal. But I share that with you because you can hear it. Other people can't hear it. Other people are going to get their backs up. 
You know, they get huffy about it. Well, he, he's changing what Gurdjieff said. No, I'm not changing what Gurdjieff said. Not at all. I'm saying what Gurdjieff said. I'm not changing what anybody said. I'm telling you what they said. But because it doesn't come in the form that you like it, the form that you acquired, because I promise you that if you read Beelzebub's Tales to his grandson, you acquired that. It didn't come flying out of your mouth. It didn't, you didn't pen it, so you acquired it. It's acquired. Well, it's C influence. No, it's not C influence. It's B influence. And if you think it's C influence, you've got to screw loose. That's all there is to it. And I, I'm sorry to have to say it if, if you're going to be offended by that, but there it is. That's the way it is. And like I said, you know, three quarters of my life is over. I don't have anybody to impress. I don't really care. You know, if you don't like what I have to say, then leave. If you don't like what I have to say, then stop listening to podcasts. I'm not here to do what you like. I'm here because I have a duty, and the most important things in my life right now are to fulfill that duty and to try and help other people who really want to fulfill that duty. I don't care about anything else. Anything else pales in comparison to that. Now, you know, I have a house. I have a car. I have a wife. You know, I have a job. I'm not looking for anything else. You know, I'm not looking for another house, another car, another wife. I'm not looking for friends. I'm not looking for any of that. I'm looking to find my real self and to manifest it express it to be real so that my life can be real. That's what I'm here for. If you're here for that, you're in the right place. If you're not, you will fall away. You will fall away. Either that or you'll get here for that reason. You'll do one of the two. But what I found is it's easier to fall away. And that's what most people do, which is fine. You know, it's like, bye, see ya. It's okay with me. I've got work to do. If you've got work to do, let's do it together. These states, hurrying, straining, worrying, being anxious, with the wrong sense of duty, these states are illusions. It's hypnotism, tricks that are used by the influences that seek to keep us asleep on this earth. Well, what are those influences? Well, I don't know, but they're powerful. I, I really don't know what they are. I, mean, I, can, I can say, oh, it's this and it's that, it's planetary influences and it's nature. But the truth is, I don't know what that means. And, you know, that's another great thing about being as old as I am and being where I am in life. I can tell the truth and I don't have to care what anybody thinks about it. That doesn't mean you have to be nasty about it. You know, it doesn't mean you have to turn into Maxine. You can tell the truth, as a matter of fact, and still be kind about it. You don't have to be nasty about it. It doesn't have to be an in-your-face truth. It's just like, look, this is it. You know, but I don't have to apologize for the truth. It's taken me my whole life to get the truth that I have. I'm certainly not going to apologize for what I've worked my entire life to get. I'm not going to apologize for it. I'm also not going to try and shove it down your throat. If you don't want it, leave it alone. It's the pearl of great price. Either go and sell everything you have to buy it, or you don't know what it is. And if you don't know what it is, then go back into the world and pick up all these other, collect all these other pearls until you finally realize that there is one thing worth more than all the others and that you will give up all the others to have that one thing. And when you're there, then you'll come for it. And until then, you can pick up some pearls here and there. They fall all the time. There are pearls everywhere. But there's one pearl of great price, and that is you, the truth about you. That is your pearl of great price. We must cleanse ourselves from personality, but instead we're deceived into running on the wheel. And all of the energy that we would use to cleanse ourselves of personality, we use running on the wheel. If you used one-tenth as much time actually trying to observe yourself as you do trying to get things in life, you would be ten times further than where you are. When I say ten times further, I don't mean that this is some place you have to be. I mean you'd be closer to being who you are than you are now. Because right effort brings that as a natural result. Gurdjieff said, a man has not sufficient will to do to control himself in all his actions. What he meant by to do is to control himself in all his actions. It doesn't mean, can you put your hat on? Can you button your shirt? He means, can you control yourself in all your actions? Well, can you? No. And you know that. But if I were to say that to somebody else, just the man on the street, he would say, of course I can. 
Well, what about when you get angry and lose your temper? Well, that doesn't happen very often. Well, but you, then you can't control yourself and all your actions. Well, I get control of myself very quickly. Yes, but you didn't keep control of yourself, so you can't control yourself and all your actions. Now you're really getting me mad. I'm losing my temper. So you see, if you, that's what happens. Gurdjieff goes on to say, but he has sufficient will to obey another person or obey the work. He had to say or obey the work because to obey another person in, now in our culture, it's really insane. Now, in Japan, it's no big deal. In the East, it's no big deal. They obey their fathers. They obey their mothers. They obey the boss. They obey people all the time. It's absolutely nothing for them. They, it is part of their culture. It's the way they grow up. It's what they acquire. So it means nothing for them. They would be appalled at how we don't. They would look at our foolishness and be appalled. Schools in the East are run entirely differently. They don't have metal detectors for guns. They don't have all these things that we have because they all wear uniforms and they come in and they, they do what they're told. They obey. And we think, oh, look, they look like little robots. Actually, we're the insane machines, except that we aren't even programmed properly, so we're all running amok, where at least they're being programmed in a way that's orderly and that works somewhat. But he has sufficient will to obey another person or obey the work. And only in this way can he escape from the law of accident. Now, this is all Gurdjieff. He says, there is no other way. Well, I'm going to make a way. I'll discover a way. But I'm not going to obey another person. And I'm not going to obey some work. And I'm not going to do that. Fine. Find your own way. There is no other way. But you find your own way. Now, in Christianity, they would say there's only one way. Well, what is that one way? You have to believe in Jesus Christ or else you can't be saved. Is that pretty much how it goes? Does anybody remember anything about that? You know, I don't have a problem with that. Well, that's okay. Jesus Christ is the work. I'll obey the work. I'll obey that person. Fine. Tell me what to do. And he does. There's enough in the Gospels. There's enough in the Sermon on the Mount to tell me what to do to know that right off the bat, I can't do that. (laughs) That's, That's what I know. I can't control myself to do that. And that's a good thing. But that's where most people quit. Well, I couldn't do it, so I quit. So I'm back out and just did what I wanted to do. Well, no, I'm going to keep on trying to do it. I'm going to keep on making the effort. I'm going to keep on seeing things that prevent me from doing it. And I'm going to keep on giving those things to him. I'm going to keep on giving those things to the work. I'm going to keep on giving those things to the light. I'm going to keep on giving those things to Jesus Christ or whomever. Buddha. It doesn't matter. I don't care what you call it or the principle or the sage. Call it whatever you want to call it. The Tao. I'm going to keep on doing that. Why? Because three quarters of my life is over and I know it's important and I know it's valuable and that's what I'm after. That's why. This is the best time of my life. I look back at the rest of it and I say, well, I'm glad I got something done and all that waste. I did get a little done. 40 years, I got a little done. Not much, but I got a little done. Now I can really start working. Now I can really get things done. That's pretty exciting to me. You don't have to wait to become my age to do that. You don't have to. You probably will, but you don't have to. You could actually listen to what I'm saying and you could obey it. You could do that. You won't, but you could. It's possible. It does happen. If we have enough pride, we can even destroy the, that opportunity. That opportunity to work with another person. That opportunity to be told and to obey. We can actually destroy that opportunity. We can actually throw that right out the window. I see people do it all the time. I see, I see you do it every day. Mostly, we have enough pride to be able to destroy the opportunity. So it doesn't matter how many times the opportunity comes up. We've got enough pride to be able to destroy it every time. There's an excess of pride in all of us. And pride is very destructive. In fact, it is probably the root destructive force, pride. Fate is related to one part of us, our type, our essence, what is real of us. The rest is under the law of accident. There is a part of you that is under fate. The real part of you is under the law of fate. But the rest of you is under the law of accident. Well, if you've got a bowling ball with a walnut inside of it, and the walnut is under the gravity of the sun, and the bowling ball is under the gravity of the earth, and you're in a bowling alley, what do you think is going to win? 
the gravity of the sun or the gravity of the earth? Well, the walnut is not going to tell the bowling ball what to do. The bowling ball is going to tell the walnut what to do. And that is exactly the condition that we are in. The bowling ball is telling the walnut what to do. The bowling ball is telling you what to do. The personality, the false of you is telling you what to do. And because you think you are that, you think you're telling yourself what to do. And the truth is, you are deceived, you are hypnotized, you are under the worst illusion that man has ever known and that man ever will know. Problem is, is that we don't know it. When you do start to know it, your head kind of pops out of the clouds momentarily and then you're right back down in it. And you may be down in it for years again before your head ever pops out of the clouds again. And then your head pops out of the clouds enough times over 20 years so that you see that there is something apart from that. And then in the next 20 years, maybe you get a few more experiences and you can actually start to poke your head out of the clouds. And the next 20 years, maybe you actually get to work on it. And the next 20 years, hopefully, if you're lucky, you get to finish your life under the law of fate. Essence in a man is what is his own. What is not his own is personality, what has come from outside, what has been learned, what has been memorized, imitated feelings, imitated words, imitated actions. When you think of how many times you've stood in the mirror and imitated some action, some word, something, that was just building your false personality. When you think of how many times you've repeated some song, some phrase that you heard in a movie, when you repeated something someone said because they said it, when you repeated something you read because you read it, you're strengthening personality. That's what we were all doing. And it was necessary for a time. It's no longer necessary for you. You don't have to be doing that anymore. You really need to be moving in the opposite direction. You really need to be the walnut struggling against the bowling ball that's rolling down the bowling alley. Because once it hits those pins, the game's over. So you need to be struggling the other direction, working, moving, making effort in the other direction. Gurdjieff went on to say, Personality is created partly by intentional influences of others, education, and partly by involuntary imitation of them by the child itself. A great part is also played by resistance to people around him and attempts to conceal from them something that is his own or real. A good example is someone who is gay. They know they're gay from their earliest recollection, but they try and conceal it from the world because the world says, well, you can't be. That's just a sickness. You can't be born gay. I don't know whether you can or not, and I don't really care. I don't know whether it's acquired or not, and I don't really care, but it's an example. Now, of course, if it's an example that if you dissect it too much, it'll fall apart. But that's not the purpose of an example. The purpose of an example is not to show that you can tear it apart. The purpose of an example is to show something else that you can't see any other way. It's a shorthand. The purpose of a shorthand is to get the idea across as quickly as possible. So, you know, if you happen to be the contentious type, what are you listening to me for? You just need somebody to make wrong? Okay, enjoy yourself. Maybe, but be careful because some of these ideas may infect you. Well, what resists it is false personality. False personality resists. Essence doesn't resist. False personality resists. So, back to Gurdjieff. Essence is the truth in man. Personality is the false. All that we call civilization, science, philosophy, art, politics, it's all created by personality. It's not all bad, but it's all created by personality. What is not your own can be lost, it can be altered, it can be taken away by artificial means. There are ways hypnosis, drugs, certain exercises that are taught in certain schools to verify this, the real of you and the personality of you, to verify this on a small degree in yourself. They put personality to sleep without affecting essence. For a certain time, personality is made passive, leaving only essence. A man full of varied, exalted ideas, sympathies and antipathies, love and hate, attachments, patriotism, habits, tastes, desires, convictions, suddenly becomes empty. So this rich cornucopia of personality suddenly becomes empty. Personality goes to sleep. All of a sudden there's this empty thing there. No thoughts, no feelings, no convictions, no views. To all that once agitated that person, he's indifferent. 
sometimes seeing his past insanity and other times forgetting it completely. Have you ever had that experience? Most of you have, if you've meditated for any amount of time, probably up to 10 day, you had the experience of seeing that, where you had moments when you had no thoughts, you had no feelings, you just didn't care. You had no views. I get like that. I get like that. Somebody says, what do you think? I said, I don't think anything. Well, what, are you, what are your views about that? I don't have any views about that. And it's true. I don't. In that moment, I do not. Why should I? There's absolutely no reason to. There's absolutely nothing I can do about it. When I am in the Tao, when I am in the moment, when I am in reality, I don't care. I don't care at all about that world. I don't care at all about what, what do you think about that? Nothing. I have absolutely no desire to think. I have no desire to feel. I have no desire. I have no view. It's just the moment. That is enlightenment. It's what it is. You can actually act from there. Not for long, but it is possible. The more you get used to it, the longer you can act from there. Because you've said, as a rule, man's essence is either primitive, savage, and childish, or else simply stupid. The development of essence depends on work on oneself. So you can see how people would get to a point where they start to work on their personality, they find their stupid essence, and go back to their personality. Because they're better off with personality than they are with that stupid, primitive, savage essence. We've seen it happen. We've all seen people do exactly that and walk away. Okay, it's time for them to go gather little pearls. And maybe they'll gather little pearls for lifetimes before they ever wake up again and have another opportunity to see the pearl of great price. But some people see the pearl of great price and it's so big and it's so glorious, they just go, oh, forget that. I'll never be able to get that. And they just turn around and head the other way. And that's fine. A man's real eye, his individuality, can grow only from his essence, according to Gurdjieff. There are a lot of other ways to say that. I can't believe I've talked this long, so I'm not going to say that in a lot of other ways. <laughs> We were going for this in over, over an hour. I'll be able to edit it down, but still, over an hour, yikes. <coughs> Esoteric teachings guide those who wish it. They don't guide you if you don't wish to be guided along this path. Few escape the gravitational pull of personality and the law of accident, but some do who really wish to work. Hypnosis, drugs, exercises all give temporary results in freeing the real from the unreal. But temporary results are good because a temporary result is what you start off with. True work, like meditation, gives lasting results. But it only gives lasting results if you consistently do it. If you don't consistently do it, you will not get lasting results. Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it, for the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Matthew 7, 13 and 14. Esoteric stuff. Often the practical application of these ideas sounds like it's going to be easy. The ideas sound great. When we actually run into a situation or a person who's being a little more difficult than we'd like, we find it's not as easy as we thought it was going to be. If you've hit a snag with some aspect of this work and its practical application in your everyday life, I invite you to write James at SolidRockVista.com. Sometimes a fresh perspective is all it takes to get us back on the right track.